three-day weekend, Brian. You do anything fun? Mm, dreaded the end of it. <laughs> Part for the course. Yeah. Uh, every weekend should be a three-day weekend, but mm-hmm. the worst part is being like, oh, I should enjoy every day of this weekend, but then it's like Monday evening and you realize you have actual responsibilities and shit to do. <laughs> yep. like, oh no, why did I waste my weekend doing things that I like doing? Oh no. Hey, it's not a three-day weekend unless you waste it. Uh, there you go. Welcome to episode 385 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach in your right ear, coming back for another episode. How you doing, Brian? Oh, doing good. We have a good outline ready to go today. Let's just dig right in. Okay. First up, huge shout out to our golden ratio supporter this week, Copilot. Hey. Marshall, I don't know what to say. Like, this app to track my money I use it every day now. Yep. You've gotten me in the habit of like reviewing all of my purchases. And then I have these like nice monthly recaps and yearly recaps of where my money is going. And I love it. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. We genuinely do love this app. Like it's a home screen one for me. Like it's, it's on my home screen, which is hallowed ground. There's nothing more you could say except this made it to Marshall's home screen. Uh, <laughs> Copilot is a fantastic app for keeping track of your money. It's like budgeting, net worth tracking, transaction recording, all of this stuff in a really beautiful interface. We love it. Uh, We think you will too. So go to copilot.money and check it out for yourself. Yeah. Thanks, Copilot. Thanks, Copilot. All right. Let's shout out some new, very important pixels this week. We have a huge list. Holy shit. Uh, Okay. So last week's sidebar was about what's the digital equivalent of a Norman door. And I think some people wanted to hear that. So people upgraded. Yeah, that explains it. I was wondering, I'm like, yeah, what, what would it be? Okay, cool. Which I, I mean, makes sense, right? Like the thing that you are supporting the show for, in our case, this bonus segment called the sidebar mm-hmm. should be compelling every week and yeah. people should be excited to get it. So uh, we have another good sidebar coming up. But first, we have a bunch of new VIPs this week. Huge shout outs to Marcel MCV, Virata Gavaskar, Anas K.A., Fede Sanchez Saurin, so close to Sauron, <laughs> so close. Stevanis Satria, Eugene, Carlo Franco, Sing Yu Lam, Siegs, Sam Withy, Rachel Jin, Stephen Katie, Felix Shin, John Lee, Rafao Ziowek, Mitchell Watts, Remy Chu, and Nancy Zuo, a.k.a. Seedless Grapes Eater herself. <laughs> right. Nancy. Yeah. Hey, Nancy. Wow. What a great list. I, I love um, Stevana Satria. That sounds like somebody who makes like super high quality electric guitars. Like, yeah, this uh-huh. is a Stevana Satria guitar. You know, no big deal. I like keeping an eye out for names that feel like they could be in sort of like a, a random name generator for like a medieval video game or mm. like a fantasy video game. Sure. Like, I could see that. Stevanis Satria is like a wizard hailing from the Northlands. And he's like here to save, <laughs> you know, save, save the day. That's awesome. Good names. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Everyone. What a yeah. list. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that listeners like you, actually, as of right this moment, 455 listeners just Ooh. like you, 
currently support us every single month and they make it possible for us to record this show every single week. It pays for our software, all of the services that we use to host and edit and and sort of deploy this podcast to the world, as well as our hardware, microphones, all the gear that it requires, and then our time every week to, to record this and edit it. So if you've been enjoying the show, even if it's your first week or if you've been a longtime listener, and if you want to support us, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash design details. When you sign up, you'll get access to a new supporter-only segment of the show called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. The Sidebar is basically an extra half of an episode. Mm-hmm. And this week, we spent a long time talking about how to actually transition from web design to mobile design. If you kind of come up on the web like me, and then you need to learn how designing for phones works, uh, hopefully this sidebar will be helpful for you. So if you want to hear this sidebar, our entire backlog, and if you want to hear full episodes of Design Details going forward, that's at patreon.com slash design details. And it starts at just a buck a month. Thanks, everyone, for supporting the show this week. Yeah. Man, these sidebars just keep getting longer and more meaty, Brian. Like, mm-hmm. I, see, I see the appeal. We'll keep them meaty. We'll yep. keep them nice, nice and useful. Okay, <laughs> cool. let's move on. Tiny bit of follow-up before we get into our main topic, this tweet. This was just a nice tweet. I just felt like this was worth calling out. We got a tweet from Vincent Vandermeulen who tweeted at us, best thing I did early on was spend hours listening to design details interviews. It taught me how to talk about my work and reflect on it long before I had any skills. I got my first internship by answering the interview questions like I thought a designer on design details would. (laughs) Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, this is back when we did a lot of interviews. So, Fake it till you make it, baby. (laughs) That's awesome. Thanks for the tweet, Vincent. Thank you. All right, let's get into the main topic, Brian. All right, this week we have a listener question coming to us from GitHub from user Sally That, who from first appearances created a GitHub account just to ask this question. That was very <laughs> nice. nice. I'll take it. I'm going to put that on my perf. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. All right, Sally That asks, what to do when the design team's bar for UI is low? Mm. And continues, I'm a few months into a new company and most of the designers are content to ship work that wouldn't pass design reviews at my previous company. I know we aren't being lazy. We invest in research and make sure we're solving problems. But the UI is poor and both stakeholders and customers have complained about it. We do have a design system and the company is working on a new one, but I've been disappointed with the design system team's output. It often feels like we lack the desire or competency to address the UI gap, and I'm losing motivation because I've worked with teams who inspire and push each other to improve our craft. I tried to address the gap by setting up regular design reviews, but I'm an IC, and I don't want to overreach or burn out by worrying about other people's work. I don't know how to raise this to my manager because I do not want to come across as being egotistical. Are my expectations unrealistic? Or perhaps... I made the wrong move and should leave for a company with a higher bar for design quality. Ooh, boy, oh boy. Okay, let's let's get into it, Brian. Okay, let's go. <laughs> this is tough. So first off, we'll acknowledge, yes, this is you're in a tough position. Um, should you leave? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. Not yet. <laughs> so okay, you're you're in this person's shoes, Marshall. You've just joined a company. You know what a good UI looks like. You've worked on teams that ship good UIs. And this new company you've joined is rough. What do you do? Like, How do you even start approaching this problem? 
Yeah, I mean, diplomacy is tough, right? Like, especially as a new designer, you don't want to step on toes, you don't want to burn any bridges, but you also don't want to ship shitty apps. So how do you fix this? One thing I've found to be really helpful is to do a competitive audit. So if there's any other apps out there that are doing something similar to what you're doing, have similar features, take screenshots and put them in a deck next to screenshots of your corresponding feature and show like, this is how they do it. Uh, Design is so subjective, but there are definitely some objective differences that you can point out. And I would try to keep it in the realm of concrete, fact-based criticisms. Yeah, like maybe less... Look at how our competitor has nice illustrations and more look how easy it is to read this screen or scan this table of of information, right? See how they're using illustration to make the point, to tell the story in case people don't read because people mm, don't read. Yeah. Marshall's constant yeah. or box constant. Box people constant. don't fucking read. And And I think by doing this, by creating this competitive analysis and this kind of audit of your own work, of your own app, and showing these things side by side, that's a pretty convincing way to show leadership like, hey, you know, apples to apples, we're not hitting the bar. Um, another thing you can do is if you feel like there are some a few small fundamental changes that you could make that would make a large impact on the visual style or the patterns that you're using, it's really useful to create kind of a before and after type of thing. Like if we just did these few things look at how much of a difference this could make, right? Yeah, I I like this idea a lot. Just saying, what would the world look like if we made this one tiny change Mm -hmm. and then this other one tiny change and this other one tiny change? And each one on its own is quite insignificant, but it can really add up to something big. So for example, let's say you have pill-shaped buttons and some like square buttons and some really large text and some small text and like some areas where you use dark grays and some areas where you use light grays. Like, Mm -hmm. just go through each of these sort of elements of difference and say, what would it look like if we just changed our button corner radius? What would it look like if we just changed some of, like, the default type sizes? Or what would the world look like if we changed some of the grays on our scale to be a little bit more readable and then maybe some of our washes a little more subtle? Some things like that. And what you could do is demonstrate each of those changes in isolation, right? Like mm-hmm. here's before and after of the buttons. Here's before and after of different wash color. Here's before and after of some type polish. And then you can do a, a more holistic before and after of, well, here's what it would look like if we did all three of these at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then you've done that. Like even let's say people look at it and like, yeah, it looks nicer, but is it worth our time and energy and resources to do it? And I feel like the only way to move out of this, if the team just fundamentally doesn't care about visual design, then move it out of opinion land and into something that is more objective and measurable. Mm-hmm. If your app makes money or your product makes money or there's some conversion rate somewhere in a flow that is important to the business, can you scope out a small A-B test and just make the visual changes and see if it matters. And I think this is actually useful on kind of both levels. Like if it is successful, you have this objective data point says, look, if we actually make our shit look good, people like it more and they're more likely to buy something or convert on something or put their email here, whatever it might be. The other level is 
if there is no objective difference, then you've probably learned something yourself or you've framed the visual changes in, in the wrong way or, or I don't know. I think it'd be equally interesting to make something look a lot better and see no measurable outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of scary to imagine that world. Because, yeah. uh, it happens fuck, though. That would suck. But yeah, uh, I think you would learn something either way. And an even cheaper way than building it and doing an A-B test is it sounds like you have good investment in, in research. Like just do an A-B test on research. Just show two mocks and ask questions or even prototypes. If you can swing that, then that's a relatively inexpensive way to do it. You don't actually have to build anything to find out that you were right or wrong. You can just show it to people. And it sounds like you've been having users complain about how the app looks. So if you show that to users and they go, yeah, this is an improvement, that's a huge data point to show to leadership and be like, hey, we, we should do this thing. And this isn't the only place that we could do that. We could do yeah. this in a lot of other places and have similar upticks and satisfaction around those areas as well. Yeah. And if, if you can get a few of those quotes from customers, it removes a lot of this pressure from yourself from looking like a jerk yep. or looking like a know-it-all yep. or look, you know, all of these sort of self-conscious things that might be holding you back from saying what's on your mind. Reasonable. If you can get other people to say what's on your mind, uh, <laughs> that's pretty great. And then it's a lot more of a neutral conversation when you're showing it to design systems. You're like, hey, I just I was doing this mock for this other project and I like changed some buttons and look at what people said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's a little sneaky, but you could work your way through that. I mean I, I found that UXers are always amenable to the argument of this solves the user need better than the other thing, right? Of like we're trying to provide something for users and the tools that we have in our tool chest today just don't do that. We need this new tool or this new style, this new pattern, whatever it happens to be in order to achieve that goal. Until we have this new thing or until we change this thing or whatever, we can't achieve that goal and we're not actually solving the user problem. That usually goes better than just like, I want to change it because this is prettier or because this looks better or I saw somebody else do it and I liked it when they did it, so we should do it too. Those aren't good arguments. Mm -hmm. Um, And and you should only make the argument if it's true. But if it is true, this doesn't solve our user problem. That goes farther than any other argument in my experience. Yeah, I feel in my experience when I've seen interfaces that are like kind of crappy, it really doesn't take that much to make them not crappy. Like it's usually something around type hierarchy. It's usually something around color, like Mm -hmm. the incorrect use of grays. Mm -hmm. Contrast. Or there's just some small tweaks you can make to things like spacing, like Mm -hmm. introducing uh, a structured key line along some sort of related content Mm -hmm. or aligning on an eight point grid and just having a, a consistent vertical rhythm and not having like random space between stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny when you work with engineers a lot, engineers, I know this is a generalization, but they'll be like, oh, this looks like it was designed by an engineer. And what they're usually saying is it's it, it's okay, it's functional, it's close, but it doesn't look pretty. And right. anytime I see those, I'm like, if you actually just changed literally one or two things, like mm-hmm. here's a couple small changes to type, here's a couple small changes to alignment, it actually suddenly just magically looks good. Mm-hmm. Because design is magic like that. <laughs> <laughs> design is math, right? <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if that's an angle here. Like really just looking at maybe even those three variables, right? Like your type scale, the color system, and your spacing system, which I know those are big things in in, 
their entirety, but really thinking about like how you could leverage small changes in each of those at the design systems layer, where if you can convince the design system, just, just change a color at a time, or, you know, this one font size actually doesn't work well because it, it reads incorrectly or it, it conveys the wrong hierarchy. We've noticed customers are reading things out of order or they're, they're scanning incorrectly. If we made this one change, it might actually help. Like going incrementally at those points of high leverage, right, type, color, and spacing, you might be able to sort of incrementally work your way towards something that works and doesn't look good to something that works and is pretty good looking, right, just based on maths. <laughs> I think my last suggestion that came to mind, I don't know, this one is harder. I think it really depends on the culture of your organization. But in my past, when I've noticed small things that were wrong and they were small enough that I could fix them, I would just go in and fix them. And people seem to appreciate it because I think a lot of times like a small misalignment here or the wrong color being used here, that ends up on some JIRA or some like bug tracking board and it's mm-hmm. always going to be priority three. 3 it's always going to get backlogged. No one will ever go through and do it. But if you notice it and it's a one-liner for you and you open that that pull request, I think in the right organization, it'll earn you some credibility with the engineers because you're saving them time and the pain in the ass of having to do it. And I think it just feels empowering to know that when you spot things that are broken in your application, even though it's not your role, you actually have the capacity to spend an hour of your time and go through and change it. And when you have that power, then all this stuff feels a little bit less intimidating because you can just go fix stuff. In an organization where that's not possible, I understand that not every designer might have access to the code base or have uh, merge access or like pull request access. I think the other angle here is to try and find an engineer or two who feel the same way you do. Mm-hmm. It might be the case that there's some engineers who have the exact same sentiment. They're like, yeah, the, the designs that we get, we implement them. I'm never super thrilled with them, but I'm not sure exactly what I should do and I don't want to piss off the designer upstream my who, place who to made say. it. Yeah. yeah, but if you can get them excited and like give them a little bit of design backing, like, hey, let's just get in a room and, and work on this thing together. I'll point at the screen at a couple of pixels that, that you can change that'll have a meaningful impact. They would probably be excited to participate in that because they're going to have more pride in their work when the hard engineering work that they've put in comes out looking and feeling really nice. Yep. Most organizations have design-minded engineers, not all of them, obviously, but there's usually a small percentage that are design-minded. They could be designers if they weren't so good at writing code. You know what I mean? Find them, befriend them, and coordinate with them, collaborate with them. You can do a lot of stuff when you have an engineer who understands where you're coming from and has the ability to make those changes. Okay, well, I hope this was helpful. I guess the last part I'm reading here in this question is, Sally, that says, I don't know how to raise this to my manager because I don't want to come across as egotistical. And I think that perception can change depending on how you approach this. If you approach it out of like, look at how bad this other team's work is, why isn't it better, versus what if we made this small change? Or I've been thinking a lot about this problem. Like, wouldn't it be cool if? I just think there's a way to approach this that doesn't come across as egotistical, doesn't come across as you have all the right answers, but really comes across as you're curious about why the system exists the way it does. And 
what it would look like if small changes happened in that system. What what would be possible, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Have you heard the phrase, of, um, how might we? Yeah, 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 exactly. That's become a very common phrase in, in the tech world, at least, is like, yeah, asking questions, starting with the three words, how might we? How might we do this? How might we do that? It's, it leaves it open. It's not saying we should do this. It's trying to come up with an answer from the question rather than landing on an answer that you've already decided upon. Yeah. Anything else, Brian? I'm fresh out of ideas. This is a tough one. Yeah, one other that comes to mind is high risk, high reward, uh, high upside, high downside is try like an unsolicited redesign of a screen. Ooh, spicy. I think this is very dangerous. Spicy. You're going to piss off some people. But mm-hmm. again, I think the framing can help here. But if you came in and said, I was just screwing around this weekend. I had this dopey idea. What if we use these colors? Wouldn't it be crazy? And then just show a screen. It should feel like you are showing a concept car. Like everyone in the room should realize that it's not really a requirement to do all of these things, but it's like, oh, there's like 12 new ideas and the systems team might hone in on one and be like, oh, actually, that one looks really good. I don't know. This one's dangerous, but (laughs) I feel like there's maybe something here about proactively trying things, seeding ideas to the right people. I don't know. I don't know. I I'm always leery of of unsolicited <laughs> redesigns in a vacuum. Like it's fine yeah. if you do it with other people or show other people immediately very 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 early, but ah oh, man, it always makes me nervous. That's such a spicy thing to do. Okay. Yeah, maybe do it yourself and then don't share it with anybody and just <laughs> feel satisfied in your own mind knowing that you could do it better. <laughs> yeah, just be careful which audience sees that and the framing that they see it under of like just, just playing around here. This isn't. I don't think we should necessarily do this. Just I'm messing around. Experimentation. Don't kill yeah. me. Straw person. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully something in there was helpful, Sally. That let us know. Leave a, a follow up comment if you have other thoughts. Good question. All right. Let's get into cool things and get out of here. Okay. I will go first. This one's an easy one. Keep it quick, simple. Uh, it's a subreddit called "That's a Book Light." Are you familiar with this subreddit, Brian? No. What is that? It is identifying everyday objects repurposed mostly in sci-fi TV shows and movies. Uh, one of the famous ones is there's a, one of those plastic backyard toy rackets that you like throw a ball back and forth with uh-huh. used in episode one in the background of Anakin's uh, desert house that uh-huh, he, he lives in, uh-huh. you know, just hanging on the wall with C-3PO. Yeah, uh, it's very obviously like one of those rackets just repainted bronze or whatever to look like space junk. <laughs> uh-huh. um, this is that of people looking at, you know, The Expanse or The Mandalorian features pretty heavily because there's lots of like background tech stuff there that the set designers have to fill these places and make them feel real. Uh, but where do you find all that stuff? You can't design it from scratch. So they go out and they look and they find stuff that looks kind of weird. Like this is a um, like a cable stripper for coaxial cable, but nobody knows what that tool looks like. It looks like a space tool, so we'll paint it a different color and put it in the background, hang it on a hook, and like now it's space junk. You know what I mean? Is there a technical term for this? Because in my head, I'm I want to say this is like visual foley, but I, sh- yeah. certainly there has to be a technical term, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's Set a book design, light prop design. <laughs> that's a book light. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like a repurposed props. Yeah, yeah. 
But it's really interesting because like you've probably seen all these things in the background or just like that's my uh, Dyson fan remote that they're using as a medical scanner or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I find it really funny. It's, yeah, it's very similar to Foley and that they're just crunching cabbage, but it sounds like yeah. somebody's arm breaking. You know? It also reminds me of people who will analyze sort of futuristic sci-fi digital interfaces and you know read the words and i think Mm -hmm. the example that's coming to mind is people would look at the sort of tablets that they used in westworld to control all the robots Mm -hmm. and they would you know freeze frame like here's what's on the screen and there would be really weird shit like i think one person found react code in one of the simulators like okay clearly they just like wet on stack like overflow code base or stack copy overflow paste. like copy paste stuff They're like yeah this looks futuristic but yeah it's, it's like yeah. instantiating a dom node in a web browser but mm-hmm. in westworld you know they're using it to like reformat the robot's empathy drive or something <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> if you don't know you'll never know but if you do yeah. know you see it right away yeah. yeah anyway so whole subreddit that's a book light check it out love it All right. Well, my cool thing this week will be a utility application for Mac OS, and it's called CleanShot X. Okay. Or Or CleanShot 10. 10. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Have you heard of this? No, and I tend to stay away from these like cleaner software things. I don't know. I always just get the malware vibe from them. Oh, well, boy, oh, boy. You aren't even in the right sort of segment of applications. Oh, okay. So CleanShot.com is a better screenshot tool for Mac. Oh, okay. The whole bait and switch on me with the name there. Got it. Okay. Shot makes more sense. It's very, very good. Okay. Like, I delayed getting this for forever because I'm like, fuck it. I know how to use Command-Shift-5. Like, I know all the power tools. I I know all the keyboard shortcuts. CleanShot goes way beyond that. They do some really cool stuff, like lots of quality of life things, uh, Specifically for me, I have it set so that if I take a screenshot, it automatically copies it to my clipboard, which is a weird contortionist keyboard shortcut you have to do in the native screenshot tool. Here, Mm -hmm. it's just by default copies to your clipboard. The other uh, feature that I really, really like is, you know how when you're taking uh, a screenshot, command shift three, and then you hit space bar, it will take a screenshot of a window, right? Well, CleanShot has a setting to optionally frame that screenshot of your window on top of your desktop wallpaper so i don't know if you've seen like i've been tweeting some screenshots lately from my my twitter account and i don't follow you okay well (laughs) i'm kidding (laughs) actually my my pinned tweet so my pinned tweet if you go look at it okay it's a screenshot of my safari browser and it's perfectly framed on my desktop wallpaper and you're like wow brian must have spent uh, uh, way too long like organizing his desktop and getting this perfectly centered and all this kind of stuff no 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 CleanShot just does this automatically and you know you can turn it off but i kind of like it like if i'm gonna take a whole screenshot of my window just put it on something nice so it's not like the weird transparent uh ping and yeah you, know, you can opt out of that but there's those are just two features and there's a ton more like they have some really cool stuff around uh recording a screen that will let you capture like the full height of a screen so you can scroll and it'll have like a rolling capture of a scrollable area Uh, Mm. has like some built-in screen recordings some built-in annotation you can take a screenshot and you can like pin the little i don't know like toast preview of the screenshot so you can drag and drop it later just lots and lots of quality of life things here wow and it costs money it costs thirty dollars okay and it is well worth it i highly recommend it 
It does make really nice screenshots. Mm-hmm. I take a lot of screenshots, Brian. I am up to like thousands and thousands and thousands in my Dropbox <laughs> or my, my iCloud. Yeah. Wow. Anyways, that's a cleanshot.com. Cool Enjoy thing, it. Brian. Cool. All right. Well, that's it. This has been episode 385 of the Design Detailed Podcast. I'm Brian Lovin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. <laughs> Brian, how you doing? Ready to go. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. If you did enjoy it or if you've been enjoying the show in the past and aren't supporting us yet, consider supporting us. If you go to patreon.com slash design details, you can support us for just a dollar a month. And when you do, you get access to a new supporter-only segment of the show called the Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. The Sidebar is basically like an extra half of the episode. In this week's Sidebar, we talked about what it takes to actually transition from designing for the web to designing for mobile. So if you want to hear our tips on that, all of our past Sidebars, and full episodes of the show going forward, that's at patreon.com slash design details. That's it. Catch you next week. Bye. And it starts at just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. <laughs> I feel like every time I have to make my voice squeak. <laughs> just a buck a month. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Anyways, just a buck a month.